Okay, while the boys and girls and young people are leaving, uh, if you can see the readings, they are on the bottom of the screen there, the bottom of the picture. So feel free to open to that. We're going to look. Uh, not only this morning, yes, we have an overview of what is called in the scripture the tabernacle. But also over the next several weeks, we're going to expand these lessons. So it's not just this morning. Uh, over the next six or seven weeks, we'll be looking at different parts of the tabernacle. I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear the word tabernacle, because many religious things are associated with that name. But we're going to look at this morning what the Bible calls the tabernacle in the wilderness. And so we have some readings. You follow along and then Brother Rex will make some comments and I will make some comments and that will hold our Bible lesson for today. Exodus chapter 25, Exodus chapter 25 and verse 1 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, and goat's hair, rams, skins dyed red, badger skins and acacia wood, oil for the light, and spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show you, that is, the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. Hebrews 9, verse 1. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and their earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna. Aaron's rod that budded, and the tabernacle of the covenant, oh, tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Verse 6. Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle, performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sin committed in ignorance the holy spirit indicating this that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing it was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the uh, conscience concerned only with food foods and drinks washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation verse 11 but christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is not of this creation not with the blood of goats and calves but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all 
having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled the unclean sacrifices for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Uh, Hebrews 8, 1 and 2. Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, <laughs> uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Rex Hartman. Um, and uh, I'm just going to share some thoughts with you today about um, <clears throat> the importance of stu studying the tabernacle. Uh, my personal background for stemming back a couple years, uh, there's a brother in uh, Tom's River, New Jersey that I met, and he was largely responsible for me coming to, or uh, being used of God for me to how I walk with the Lord today. And a lot of what he did was study the tabernacle, and he would point things out to me in the scripture that uh, would eventually cause me to study more and more and more. And uh, as that happens, the Lord used his word, and he drew me closer to him. So uh, briefly, I'm just going to say that the tabernacle for us as New Testament believers is, uh, is important to study, not just because it's something that God ordained, that a large portion of the scripture, about 50 chapters, as we divide it, uh, talks about the surface of, the construction of, or the building of, or anything, something, something related to the tabernacle. But every major doctrine that we find in the New Testament is here. This is the first time God comes and says, I will dwell amongst my people. And uh, there's, there's a lot of depth, and there's an incredible benefit we have. So there's a few reasons we don't study, and I'm gleaning these from uh, that brother I mentioned, Rich Kustis. Uh, it says, why we don't study? Sometimes a tabernacle is bogged down with a lot of details, especially when you get into the service of the tabernacle, how they must wash, how they had to dress, at what, what occasions they would sacrifice, all the feasts. It's very technical. And a lot of times, because there's a lot of details, it's very technical, people get disinterested. However, I would suggest that in those details, the Lord is revealing himself to us. And that uh, overarching, the whole tabernacle is a big picture of Jesus. And uh, the more we study the tabernacle, the more we realize about the, the, the literal pictures that are being presented, we can understand better our Lord and our Savior. Uh, it's very Old Testament. Another reason that a lot of people don't study the tabernacle or are inclined not to or neglect to study. Uh, that was for ancient Israel, but now we have the Lord, so we shouldn't study the tabernacle. It's, it's, it's not as important to study the tabernacle as it is to study... Uh, the New Testament writings, the things that the apostles said. However, I'd say again, the the vast majority of everything the apostles reference is based upon the system of worship. All the new believers in the in the first century were Jewish people, and then through Paul spread to the Gentiles. So when you have uh, all these references, for instance, uh, even the little phrase Paul says, "Pray without ceasing." Uh, pray without ceasing. It's a good thing to do, 
as, as we might look at it. However, the altar of incense was a, uh, was a representation of prayer on the right, right hand of the throne of God if you're looking from the holiest of all out to the rest of the tabernacle. That, uh, that altar was always to be burning with incense and symbolic of prayer. So when Paul says pray without ceasing, he's saying is the picture of Christ is he is constantly interceding for us. His prayers are always interceding for us on that altar. And we in like manner also ought to pray without ceasing. So we have all these, all these deep things coming together. So now why we should study the tabernacle goes in hand in hand. Every new covenant doctrine begins there. You have the justification of saints. Our approach to God from an unbeliever to a believer. How believers ought to conduct themselves. It's all in the typology or the pictures that are in the tabernacle for the priesthood. Um, I already mentioned it's the first dwelling place of God with his people. And just like John says in the beginning of his gospel, he says, uh, and, he dwelt, uh, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So we have the literal tabernacle that came down or that was, was shown to Moses in a pattern. And we have the son of God coming down. Um, I have to move quickly because we're splitting the time. Um, it describes our approach to God as an unbeliever. You have to come through the one gate. You have to pass by that altar, and if you're not a priest, you can't pass that altar. That's where you stop as, an, as a person of the congregation of Israel. Um, if you can pass that altar, you have to be clean. You have to wash in that laver before you can enter the holy place. You know, these, these are things in reference that uh, I'd cause you to uh, bring your memory back to the time where Jesus washes disciples' feet. And Peter says, I want you to wash all of me. He said, no, you're already clean. You just need to wash your feet. What is that a reference to? Some people say customary foot washing because you know they wore sandals, their feet got dirty. However, the image is, in, in my mind, and you're looking at a, a priest who had to wash his hands and feet because of the things he'd been doing. They were drenched in blood from all the sacrifice, and his feet got dirty because there was no floor. He'd been walking around in dirt. So the perpetual washing, the progressive sanctification of saints, it's all pictured in the tabernacle. and. Uh, Again, in those details, you find many pictures of Christ. The candlestick, the altar of incense. I, I don't even have time to talk about the brazen altar, the altar of burnt offering, because every sacrifice that was all offered on there was a type of Christ. And something that he offered, as, as when he offered himself for us, that's what it does for us. The burnt offering, the peace offering, the meal offering, the sin and trespass offering, all five of those offerings, that's all what he did for us. Um, my last point is that it shows us much about God's reality or heaven. God said he would come and he would dwell among us in Exodus 25. And his point was to reveal himself and his reality to us. So the dimensions of things, again, in these, in these details, the dimensions of things, the arrangement of things, where they are from his throne. I, I was explaining to uh, Brother Malcolm when, when we build houses, we start with uh, the foundation, a design, a construction. We build everything on the outside, then we start to furnish the inside, and then we start to put the furniture. And then usually, you know, uh, fathers in the congregation or mothers or whoever, you put your favorite spot or your favorite chair in, in your favorite place. Well, with God, it's a little bit different. He came down and he put his seat down first, his throne down first in the ark, and then built everything from his perspective. So anyways, let's, uh, I'm going to talk about 
Uh, one of the gentlemen read in Exodus 25 in verses 1 through 7, the heave offering. Um, this heave offering is, is, a, is, is also referred to as a great offering sometimes. It's a big, it's a big offering for a great purpose. It occurs many other times, and usually it's, it's, on, it's on demand. It's not a, a ritualistic type of giving that they had. It's, it's a, uh, from my studies, if I'm wrong, correct me. <laughs> from my studies, it's, it's a uh, just one-time offering for this or for that reason. And so if someone wants to give, uh, in this heave offering, the Lord commanded Israel to give of precious stones. He, off, he told them to give um, precious metals, um, copper, brass, silver, and then gold. So we move from the heave offering, and I, I would say in the sanctuary to, to dwell with his people, and that's in verse 8 in Exodus chapter 25. And this is all according to the pattern that Moses was shown in the mountain. A little bit of history, if you read back in the few previous chapters in Exodus, you'll find that Moses, Aaron, and Hur, and 70 elders of Israel, and Nadab and Abihu were up in the mountain. But they couldn't draw close to the Lord, but they were up in the mountain, and they saw the God of Israel. So if you take a minute to process that, it, it's a pattern. So what did they see? They said they saw there's a transparent sapphire floor. That they, they saw things. So my point in saying this is we know more about heaven than sometimes we think we do. And by studying the tabernacle and looking at people's visions of heaven, you can pick out the pieces of tabernacle furniture as what they see. Um, let's move first to the, the order that things are told to be constructed. And we'll talk about the ark. Uh, it comes first, and it is with the mercy seat and the cherubim. That's the lid of the top. It gives, I'm not going to go into the dimensions. We're just going to talk about what it is. And uh, it is the God's throne. He's putting his throne down first. He's giving the dimensions of it. And it's, to, it's uh, acacia wood covered with, it says, pure gold. <clears throat> Excuse me. And beyond that, you have uh, the, the lid with two cherubim on either side. So I'm going to take out my, uh, my Bible here. And I'm going to read really quickly uh, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. And this is just to corroborate that what uh, is in the tabernacle is also a vision of heaven. In Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, verse 1. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. See here first? He is in a temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, and two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken, there is a door. <laughs> and by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people with unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And the one seraphim flew to me, having a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. There is an altar right by the throne. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. I think it's very interesting that you see, you can pick out the pieces. You see the throne. You see angels surrounding that throne. Um, Isaiah is looking and is, he's also beholding a king, but he's in a temple. Who doesn't, dwells in temples? It's a king. 
No, that's the Lord. He is our priest. He is our king. And there's an altar there, right by the throne. And I think it's very interesting. We talked about briefly how the altar of incense is representative of prayer, or the burning of incense is representative of prayer. Isaiah is complaining about having unclean lips. So he takes the altar that's representative of prayer, takes a coal off there, and shoves it in his mouth. <laughs> there's, a little, there's a little irony embedded into that. Oh, you, you have a problem with your speech? Try some prayer. <laughs> but um, moving on, we go to next in Exodus 25, you find the table, the table of showbread it's referred to. Uh, it contained the bread of presence, some, some people refer to it as. It had bread upon it, unleavened bread. And uh, the Lord said it was to be before me continually. This was also made of acacia wood, and it was overlaid with pure gold that had a border around it. And also there were, there were vessels that were to be made, uh, cups, bowls, goblets, uh, for pouring out. These are some of the vessels that would be used during the sacrifice. There would have to be a drink offering poured out simultaneously as animals were offered upon the altar. And in the Old Testament, nobody drank the, the wine that was in those vessels. And so something very interesting. The priest every, every week had to meet together, break that bread, eat it, and consume it, and then they'd set new bread out to stay before the Lord continually until the next week. So every, every week, again, our New Testament doctrines, what are we doing today? We're meeting together every week, and we're breaking bread. What did the disciples do? They met together every week, at least, and they broke bread. So before him continually. And uh, now in the New Testament, we drink the wine. That, that joy that's to come from the consumption of the, that fruit of the vine was only for the Lord to experience or to, to satisfy him in that drink offering. But now, in our new covenant, we get to have the joy of Christ. We get to experience that fullness with the bread and the wine. Moving down next to the lampstand, it's very interesting. Um, you know, I, I'm going to go back up to the table because I forgot to some, something very important. In Revelation 19, uh, we find something that's uh, in reference to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And again, all of our, like I said, for all of our New Testament doctrines, they're in some way pictured here, or there's a, they're setting the precedent here. In the marriage supper of the Lamb, I'm just going to read Revelation 19 and verse 9. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who, called, who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb, and he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. Where does this marriage supper take place? You can't eat where there's no food. And there is a table, but there's no chairs. There, in the tabernacle, there are vessels. There is bread. There is wine. There are things for us to consume. My suggestion to you is that the marriage supper of the Lamb takes place in heaven with this heavenly furniture that's there. But it's also being pictured as, as Moses was shown. So my... Again, my overarching point is that we should study these things because of the importance to our faith overall. It also draws an important tie between old and new. Um, I remember years ago, I didn't understand, I didn't know anything about the tabernacle years and years ago, um, even, even though I think I was in the process of becoming a believer. Um, they didn't, nobody emphasized to me that everything that, that exists now has been foreshadowed before. You know, that when Moses was in the wilderness and they wanted water and they, they smote the rock, no one said, no one said to me that 
That's a picture of Christ, the rock, being smitten so that we could have water, that we could quench our spiritual thirst. Um, let's just move on to the lampstand. Um, in Exodus uh, 25, verses uh, 31 through 40, we have the, the lampstand. Um, it is a beaten work, it says. So someone had to donate, it's from one piece of gold, someone had to donate a large lump sum of gold and then uh, basically beat it into the shape that Moses told them to. Uh, I don't know if, you, if any people work with gold or anything like that. You have, it's very malleable, it's very pliable, and uh, to beat that, it would, it would actually cause minute indentations all around it. So when they had finished this lampstand, it says with its knobs, flowers, and almonds. So this is a lampstand with a central branch, and we've all seen a menorah. You have a central branch, and then you have three branches on each side of it. It has knobs, it has flowers, and at the top you have an, oil, an olive oil lit lamp that was to be made of crushed olive oil. So you have all these, all these pictures of Christ, and as the light would shine, and this is, we don't know what everything looks like because Moses saw the pattern, and then they made the furniture, but then uh, at some point in Israel's history, it was uh, abducted. <laughs> so if you had beaten a gold lampstand, it would have tiny, minute um, inconsistencies to it. So as light would hit it, it would refract in multiple directions. If you uh, Later on, we'll see that, that boards were to be made of acacia wood and plated with gold and sitting in silver sockets. So this tabernacle was a beautiful place to be in. Everything's made of gold. Everything's shining. And the lampstand is meant to reflect light upon itself, too, and to diffuse that light through the entire, the entire place. Um, with that knobs, flowers, and almonds, the design, is, as you read in, in Exodus, it would have an extension, then a knob with almonds and flowers. Another extension, knobs, almonds, and flowers. So if you've ever seen a plant, it goes through seasons of growth. It'll, go, it'll have a, a knot, go through a season of growth, and it'll have another knot, seasons of growth, and it'll, it'll branch off from there. This is similar to what Christ is saying about himself in John chapter 15, if you want to take a look there. In John chapter 15, you have a central vine and you have branches. In John 15, verse 1. I turn to John 1, 1. That's not right. <laughs> I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear forth more fruit. So what is he talking about? He's talking about fruit coming off of vines. John 15. Yeah. So we're talking about fruit coming off of a vine. Well, Christ also said that he is the light. So not only is the vine, where the branches coming off of that vine, you know, he is the light. He's the light at the top. He, and, and through him, we're lights as we share his, uh, his light with other people. Um, then in Exodus, it goes to coverings. It goes through all the ramskins dyed red, all the fabric, and it goes through the veil. Um, then we talk about the boards and sockets. I'm, I'm just giving you a brief overview of, of the order in which things are made. Then we talk about the altar of burnt offering, which was not in the tabernacle proper. It was out in the courtyard. You can see the picture up here. It is, uh, is out in for If you were a person from the congregation of Israel and you walked in, that's where you stopped. If you're not a priest, if you're not a son of Aaron, 
who's actively serving as a priest, you stop at that altar, and there's no reason to come unless you have an offering. Yeah, just, you, you don't worry about it for now. Yeah. Um, so that altar of burnt offering offered sacrifices. I mentioned them briefly. You have the burnt offering. You have a meal offering. You have a peace offering. And you have a sin offering and a trespass offering, which are offered similarly. So going from there, uh, that's Exodus in, in Exodus 27. It, designed, it describes how it's had horns on each side. It had a grate for things to be burnt under it. There's always to be a burnt offering offered every morning and every evening on that altar as well. Uh, then you have the altar of incense, which sat inside the tabernacle proper in the holy place, and it was right on the right-hand side. If you were sitting in the holy place and you're looking out, you see that on the right hand of God, there's that altar of incense. So in your mind, when you think in the New Testament that Christ has rested from his work and is now ascended to the right hand where he performs his intermediary work for us, that's that altar of incense. His prayers are being offered for the saints, just like he did in Matthew. The Lord's praying for the church that they may, may all be one. This is his position now. He's serving the Lord forever in the, that continual offering of incense. Uh, then you have the labor in Exodus 30. In Exodus 30... Uh, you find the, you don't have to turn that, I'm not going to read from there if you don't want to. Next, you have the laver, it's made of bronze, and this was collect, made from a collection of mirrors. So you have a, a bronze laver, people debate about the design and construction of it, some people picture it as a bowl, where people washed. Um, other people say, well that, that would be incredibly arduous for a priest to have to constantly change that water because they can't wash in dirty water. When a priest comes to that labor, it has to be clean for them to wash. And so some people think it might have been a large basin that was filled maybe a few times a day and that they had spigots to wash in. Regardless, it was, it was made of copper or bronze, and uh, it was for them to wash. The priests had to wash between uh, sacrifices. They had to wash before entering the holy place. And uh, as Jason read, where'd he go? <laughs> as Jason read, these are fleshly ordinances. Remember my point in saying that we should devote an intense amount of detailed study to the tabernacle is that those fleshly ordinances have spiritual applications for us in our priesthood. Um, the last thing I do want to read is in Zechariah. It's in Zechariah chapter 4. And this is another, uh, another vision of heaven that Zechariah is having in his, uh, in his book. Zechariah 4, verse 1. Now the angel who talked with me came back and wake, wakened me in a, as a man who is wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? So I said, I am looking, and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. On the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, and one at the, one at the right of the bowl and the other at the left. So I answered in... Oh, I'm sorry. That's where I'm going to stop. Zechariah sees in heaven seven golden candlesticks. He sees two olive trees next to them. So when the Lord's telling, giving his ordinances, saying it has to be made of crushed olive oil in heaven, Zephaniah is seeing this piece of convergent fortune. When, when, when Christ is uh, writing his uh, letters to the churches, he says, he that walks amongst the seven golden candlesticks. My point to you is that when we devote this time to studying the tabernacle, who we're going to see in every single detail that is revealed to us and that is written down is the Lord. It's Jesus. And 
we ought to think of it as such. Yes, they're, they're earthly things that were made, but Moses was shown them by the Lord himself. I want you to make the lampstand. I want you to make it like this, because this is who I am. This is my reality, and I'm now revealing it to you. Uh, and just as John said, the word became flesh. Everything, this is the word we're going to read into. We're going to read what Moses wrote. That's the word. But now, now we know that that word was made flesh. Anyways, that's it. Thank you, Rex. And we'll just make a few more comments. And if pictures help you like they do me, why we will go ahead with that. Now, the tabernacle is, uh, <clears throat> we've just heard an overview of the furniture. But basically, let's look at it like this. When the children of Israel left uh, bondage in Egypt, they were in the wilderness, right? So there was one to two million of them. And there was this campsite. And in the center of the campsite was this structure known as the tabernacle in the wilderness. Now, we'll come back to that picture later, I think. But let's just, uh, again, a brief overview. What is the tabernacle? A visual dwelling, something they could see. Tabernacle means tent, a place of dwelling, a sacred place where God chose to meet with his people. Exodus 25, right? God said, let them make me a sanctuary, right? It's a remarkable thing that God wanted to dwell among his people, right? Where the priests and people came together to worship and offer sacrifices, this was a mobile tent with portable furniture that the people traveled. You know, many of us, not me, but many of us have been camping before, you know, and when you go camping, you take along the necessary items, right? Well, this was essentially, it was God going camping, as it were, with his people. When they went around Mount Sinai in the wilderness, God wanted to be with them. It's a remarkable thing when we think about it that way. And then the tabernacle. Just a few more points about this. Why is it going so slow? I don't know. Uh, I think it has frozen. But there it is. God's self-revelation to Israel. Many lessons we've just heard from Rex about God. The beauty of holiness. If you were able, which you would not have been allowed, if you were able to go into that holy place and then into the holy of holies, there was just that there was a veil that that, that acted as a door. It, you could see the beauty of this latticework and of these beautiful colors of the of the uh, tabernacle itself that was overlaid over that latticework, and and, and the light of the lampstand and the the, the smell of the uh, uh, aromatic incense and those things. It was a lovely picture of the beauty of holiness and of the friendliness of God. We'd heard about how God uh, would, as it were, eat or fellowship with his people in the loaves on the table. A subject of vital interest in the word of God, Rex made reference to this some 50 chapters uh, in the Bible. So it is very important. You know, uh, I don't know if we have it there, but you know, sometimes we think, well, if, if that's just a picture of what is to come, it's just a shadow of good things to come, why should I study the shadow? Well, we can learn, as we've already heard a lot about the Lord Jesus, we can learn a lot about heaven. In the tabernacle, we discover the way of salvation, the work and walk of the servant of God, and the worship of the saint. Now, our Bibles that we have are divided into Old and New Testament. And, uh, you know, it's a wonderful thing as we read the Old Testament to understand this basic concept that the, uh, the New 
Testament, as it were, is in the old concealed. The old is in the new revealed. And you can really vividly see that in the tabernacle itself. And we're going to go on to see. Now, in the book of Exodus as a whole, Israel is building for Pharaoh. They were building the uh, treasure cities and, uh, that Pharaoh wanted them to build. They were slaves. But also, Israel is building for God. We ask ourselves, why the change? Well, we looked at uh, several weeks ago, Exodus chapter 12. They were redeemed. They were bought by blood. They were delivered from bondage. They were delivered from the wrath of God. They were redeemed out of that bondage, and they now were building. And it causes us to ask the question, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, who are you building for? Who am I building for? Well, they were redeemed people. And if you are here this morning and you're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, you know for your sins have been forgiven. You're not trying to work your way to heaven. Your sins have been forgiven because of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. We ask ourselves, who am I building for? Well, we trust we're not building for anything of the old life, but building for the Lord. So the tabernacle, another overview. This is kind of a cutaway. Remember the camp, the tents would be around where the people lived. And there was this one gate, as Rex referred to, as you go in, there's seven articles of furniture in total. And there's the altar, a burnt offering where, you know, that was the, the, the fire never went out on this altar, burning night and day, constantly. You know, you, we, we, we just are impressed with the fact that there had to be sacrifice in order for the people to approach unto God. And there's the labor, again, not certain exactly how it looked, but there's where the priest would ceremonially wash. They would enter in. Uh, through the first uh, uh, veil there, and there was the lamp stand, there was the a table of showbread, there was the incense altar, and inside there was the ark and the uh, overshadowing mercy seat with the cherubim on it. And there again is a, another uh, brief overview of what it looked like. And the tabernacle was a shadow of things in heaven. It's a remarkable thing when we read there in, in uh, the, the book of the Hebrews. Remember, we, look, we read in the Old Testament and we read in the New Testament. And the, and the scripture says that Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands. Where is the Lord Jesus now, by the way? Well, he's not entered into holy places made with hands, which are figures or copies of the true, but into heaven itself. What do you know about heaven? What do I know about heaven? Well, it's because we can look at the copy, right? He's entered into heaven itself uh, now to appear in the presence of God for us. The tabernacle of Moses that God gave in the pattern for was horizontal with the earth. The Lord Jesus made that tabernacle per perpendicular or vertical, right? If you're a believer... We now can come into the holiest of all by the blood of Jesus. It foreshadowed the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus. The real tabernacle is in heaven. This is a marvelous subject, very vast. It really pays a lot of dividends if you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior to study the tabernacle. And just imagine what it would have been like if you lived in that ancient time period. There were certain, remember there, there was 12 tribes of Israel and they were camped three tribes Per side, east, by the way, that's east there, east and west and north and south and so forth around the tabernacle. And there was God presenced himself with the pillar of fire by night and the uh, cloud by day. And that was the symbolic presence of God that they could see. But inside was, as Rex referred to, it was the throne of God where the ark was and where God was pleased to presence himself. The, uh, the Holy One dwelled between the 
cherubim. But just imagine what it would have been like to see that action day in and day out, to smell that smell of where the, the animals had to be slain and where the fire ascended constantly. What it would have been like to live in that campground. Nothing like that I'm sure we would ever have experienced nowadays. But that was the way it was for the children of Israel for some 40 years. Now, just before we close, I just want to say this one thing. Because I would ask, when the children of Israel came out of the promised land, right? God delivered them from the wrath, of, the wrath that was to come, and he redeemed them by blood. All right, and then he had them to, to build this, and we're going we're gonna to see what the application is here. Why, or what was the goal of redemption? Why did God bring those people out from bondage under Pharaoh? What was the goal? Some of us might say, well, it was so they could go to the promised land, a land that flows with milk and honey. Here they were slaves and, and just had to eat what the, was given them. But now God would, would bring them out. Oh, it would be a lovely place, the promised land. That God, and he did say he would lead them out to a promised land. But I submit to you, according to the word of God, that that was not the goal of redemption. God bringing them out, but it was God himself. And let me, let me prove that as we close our lesson on the tabernacle, because we're going to see how important, as we've already heard in a number of ways, how important it is. Why did God lead a one million to two million strong out of that uh, place of bondage in, uh, un, under Pharaoh in Egypt? Well, listen to what he says. You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and I brought you to myself. Let them, he says later, make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. God redeemed them that he might bring them to himself. It wasn't just to go to the promised land, but it was that God might bring them to himself. And that was going to be portrayed in the tabernacle. You know, the last book of the Bible... Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Why did Jesus come down? Right? Rex referred to it. The word, the Son of God, was made flesh and tabernacled amongst us. John 1.14. God desires to be in the midst of his people. God is just not some far off, unknowable being that we just see. Some big ogre in the sky that puts rules on us and, and dampens our happiness. You can't do this and you can't do that. No, God desires... For our fellowship. He wants us to walk with him. That, I submit to you, according to the word of God, is the goal of redemption. That God wants... Now, why did God save you? If you're here this morning and you're saved, you're born again, you, you have been, you're cleansed by blood, you understand that your sins have been forgiven by the shed blood of, of the Savior. You don't have to bring an animal sacrifice every time a sin occurs. You have one sacrifice for sins forever. Why did God save you from that? Just to bring you to heaven? No, because where Jesus is, tis heaven there. It's not just heaven. Praise the Lord, it will be. If you know Christ as Savior, we have the promise of heaven. But it, God, Jesus wants to bring us to himself. And, and we can see that now on a daily basis. This, this business of the tabernacle, that's old and all that. But it tells us in such rich ways of how God wants to Walk with us. God wants to be every part of the detail of our life. It doesn't matter. Sometimes you, we tend to uh, separate the, the uh, secular and the, sac uh, and the sacred. You know, we say, well, God is only here when I go to church, right? No. no he wants to walk with us in life and to, to enjoy that fellowship. 
You know, what a wonderful thing is when you stop and think about it, that this almighty transcendent God that is outside of this creation wants to have association, wants to have partnership, wants to have communion with you and me. He brought them out that he might bring them in, but he, might, he brought them out that he might bring them to himself. So we, that's all made known to us in the tabernacle and a wonderful, wonderful lesson that we can draw from it. So don't think just because we have something that we've already heard is a bit uh, detailed and difficult to follow. We're going to learn, I believe, uh, over the next several weeks. Yes, we will have a few breaks in between. But over the next several weeks, how every article of furniture, there's seven articles of furniture in that tabernacle, but every one of them points in some measure to the Lord Jesus. It's a wonderful thing that God has given to us a picture book. You know, little children, we have a lot of little children here, and they like picture books. Well, I, 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 I do too, you know, and I'm just an older ch child, right? Picture books. The Old Testament is a picture book of the realities of heaven. So it's a wonderful thing to be able to read in the Old Testament and see how that matches up, how the shadow portrays what the reality is in the person of the Lord Jesus. So let's pay careful attention as we look over the next several weeks at the tabernacle. And also, I would just, we would just encourage in your own reading and study, not just, you know, oftentimes we get to certain parts of the Bible, you know, and they, they, we, we find them more interesting. Then we get to, if you're reading in Exodus, you know, you read about the, the, the deliverance from Egypt and all that. And then when you get to Exodus 25, you say, what is this about? Let, let them bring me this heave offering, this, these, these different articles that we need to build. For what? Well, it's a wonderful thing to think that God desires fellowship with us. He says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And it's a wonderful thing to know your sins are forgiven and to know that God desires fellowship with us and we can have that constant communion and enjoy the, the, the knowledge, the assurance of sins forgiven through the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus. And may it be so as we study this tabernacle to be a help in your life as you walk as a believer. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus as Savior, recognize that God himself has come down, not in a uh, literal man-made tabernacle, but uh, in, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has proved his desire and love for you and me by giving himself a sacrifice for our sins that he might bring us to himself. May it be so for his name's sake. Our Father, we thank you this morning for this lovely picture in the Old Testament, the tabernacle in the wilderness. We thank you that Moses could go up to that mount and he could see the copies of the things in heaven. What a wonderful experience Moses had. But we thank you that we now, as we look into the word of God, we can see those same things that Moses saw and we can enter into that enriching experience by the power of the spirit of God as we look into the word of God and see the tabernacle portrayed to us. And so we thank you that soon coming in the book of the Revelation, the Lord says, as heaven opens, behold, the tabernacle of God is within. We just thank you and we pray that these lessons may be impressed upon each of our hearts here this morning. And perhaps if there's one here that does not know the Lord Jesus as Savior, who is the ultimate reality of this tabernacle, that they might come to know him, whom to know as life eternal, we pray in his name. Amen.